It is Fact Checker. We are debunking misinformation based on real evidence, real facts, setting the record straight. Uh, joining us here in the studio, as always, our resident fact checker, Adam Rowe. Hello. Good morning, Henry. Good morning to you. Uh, we are going to first fact check one question I think a lot of people have been asking is, why can't we do anything about this situation in Myanmar? Because mm. uh, everyone's witnessing in real time this brutal crackdown uh, that is being brought upon these pro-democracy protesters by the military. And all of the international condemnations, um, tweets, and uh, criticisms obviously are not having any effect on what the military is doing. They don't seem to care about public opinion Mm. at this point. So the question then is, short of any real physical intervention within the country, what can be done? So the question of intervention, how likely is that to happen? Uh, Well, as things stand, unfortunately, not very likely Mm. at the moment. Uh, There's a lot of moving parts to any such intervention happening uh, in Myanmar. Unfortunately, that is the way of the world. Um, uh, But uh, there are pleas from the protesters and even Western world leaders that the Myanmar crisis warrants action as part of what's known as the Responsibility to Protect Doctrine, or R2P as it's known. That's that's something that was adopted by the UN uh, back in 2005, which states that the world should step in where the government commits crimes against its own people. Uh, The international community has so far limited itself to carefully worded statements calling for restraint in terms of uh, the situation in Myanmar. Uh, So that's why there's these calls that have been increasing. Uh, But there have been a number of countries, such as the US and the UK, placing economic sanctions on Myanmar. Uh, But that's about the extent of it. Uh, In the United United Nations Security Council, China and Russia, veto-wielding nations, have pretty much blocked any condemnation of Myanmar's military coup, but then they released their own statement saying they're uh, denouncing the political crisis there. So it's kind of contradictory. Mm-hmm. So they're expressing concern of the situation in the country, but then they're blocking any uh, possible um, statements or resolutions in the UNSC. Uh, and yes, uh, any UNSC call for military inv- intervention especially is likely to be blocked by those two nations as well. Um, In terms of the R2P policy, it was actually first invoked in 2011 by the UNSC to justify NATO-led airstrikes in Libya in the dying months of the Muammar Gaddafi's regime. But even here, the actions, or even then, uh, the actions drew criticism from those who uh, kind of said the doctrine will only ever be used by powerful states against the weak, uh, trying to assert their iron fist, if you will. And the policy has never been invoked since, uh, despite the fact that we're seeing many cases, not just in Myanmar, yeah. but there was this case of Syria's uh, right. uh, al-Basad, uh, the chemical weapons use, mm-hmm. and the, there's the Chinese allegations of um, abuse against the Uyghur Muslims in Xinjiang and all that kind of stuff. But still, this R2P policy is yet to be invoked. Um, and any foreign military intervention will also add more casualties, of course, to what is already a very bloody crisis in Burma. So that's why I think many countries seem to be avoiding that option at the You're moment. Right. And, and the cynical people will say this is all a result of the, the recent American adventurism that's taken place in the last few decades. Mm. I think a lot of people who are old enough will remember that infamous uh, UN Security Council resolution vote that uh, did allow this multilateral campaign against uh, Iraq uh, yeah. after 9-11, where uh, the U.S., the George W. Bush administration at the time claimed that they were building weapons of mass destruction and this you yeah. know, this uh, o- overall war on terrorism mm. meant that we had to go into Iraq and, and make sure that they, they weren't allowed to pursue those mm. means. It turned out to be false. And of yeah. course, there right now is now no appetite for any kind of uh, military intervention yeah. like this. 
the cynics will say, well, there's no oil in Myanmar. Obviously, it's not <laughs> something that uh, is going to be really highly motivating for a country like the U.S. to actually go rogue and, and go on an intervention of their own. So right now, it just feels like it's, it's a frustrating situation. It if is. you care for, if you have an ounce of you know, human compassion, you just want to do something to help these people. Yeah. But really, there's nothing to be done. And on that Iraq thing, the UK, the UK Prime Minister at the time, Tony Blair, is still getting stuck oh, right. for, for the backing of that uh, Iraq um, yeah, war, basically. Yeah, and so when you have these issues where hindsight being 2020, should we have intervened in something, again, um, if you're old enough to remember, that the genocide that occurred in Rwanda, a lot of people mm. feel that military, direct military intervention within that could have prevented the loss of thousands and thousands of innocent yeah. lives. And what we are seeing here are innocent lives being lost in Myanmar. And again, uh, short of any uh, direct intervention, it does not feel like uh, this is going to be uh, ended except on the military junta's terms in mm-hmm. Myanmar until they have, I guess, uh, satisfied their own sort of ends to their means. Yeah, it kind of shows the, the kind of the delicate nature of diplomacy in the world. And yeah. I mean, it should be something that should be so simple, right. but then it is complicated. Complicated yeah. by a lot of these things. Yeah. Well, we're going to talk about something else that's uh, very complicated, especially if you are a foreign resident here in Korea. Everyone's been hyping up and talking about these upcoming by-elections. The early voting has taken place, but the the main voting day is Wednesday, April 7th. So if you are one of the uh, expats listening to this program right now, some of you may be wondering, do I have a right to vote here? So you're going to clear this up uh, with your uh, legal expertise. Let's take a look at um, a comparative look in terms of Korea, residents voting in elections, and how it also kind of looks in other countries like China and Japan. Yeah, so uh, let's have a look at China first. There's no law in China allowing non-Chinese residents from voting in any election, uh, any uh, presidential, general, or... Um, by-election, but since they don't really have any much elections anyway, I mean, yeah, it doesn't really uh, make a difference. Uh, In Korea, those holding permanent residency for at least three years can vote in by-elections only, so uh, foreigners or expats living in Korea can't participate in the presidential or general elections, but they can do in the by-elections because they're choosing their local official. Mm. Uh, And in China, uh, even if a foreigner has a permanent residency, then he or she isn't able to vote. The only way for them to get voting rights is by becoming a Chinese citizen. Uh, But as I said, uh, because of the kind of political um, ideology that they have in China, elections aren't really that common. They are very rare. Possibly the only case where elections can be seen is probably Hong Kong, but even those are now being threatened Mm. now because of uh, the whole China crackdown that uh, a lot of Western leaders are also condemning at the moment. So uh, bottom line, in China, there's no real... Uh, framework or infrastructure in place where uh, there is this right for foreigners to vote. But uh, what you've been laying out is is essentially a moot point right now, (laughs) even (laughs) if you do. Okay, then what about a country that's nominally considered a democracy? Uh, What about Japan? Yeah, well, uh, it actually appears to be the same in Japan as well. Uh, The the country's constitution states that the right to elect public officials is held solely with the citizens. So only Japanese people can vote. Now, for local officials, the law states that only residents have the right to vote so it doesn't actually 
specifically say it should be a Japanese citizen or not, but uh, these residents are classified as those with addresses in the region a candidate is running for, as well as that resident being Japanese. Uh, So, as is the case with China, any foreign resident in Japan must obtain citizenship if they wish to vote. Uh, But with more permanent foreign residents actually increasing in Japan, there have been growing calls for these people to have voting rights like uh, similar to what uh, Korea Mm. is allowing. Um, So, yeah, to summarize, it is true that Korea allows foreigners to vote for local officials, but but it actually appears the turnout among them is very low anyway. It's only in the very small percentage um, of the whole foreigner base that uh, actually go out to uh, take part in these by-elections. Hopefully, maybe, that can change this time round uh, because... We've put it out there now. <laughs> yeah, so there, there is, the right is there for those yeah. who want to exercise it. The question, as you say, is um, because generally speaking, we're not talking about um, central government elections, right? The yeah. big ones, uh, the National right. Assembly and, and the president. If it's like local district chief mm. or, or ward of, of your you know, um, yeah. local uh, office or province, it's not as... sexy an election and and then there probably just (laughs) isn't as much impetus to do so you have high profile foreigners like um, a frequent guest on our program and I know I'm sure on your program um, Ilya who's always kind of Mm. you know very well known for exercising his his right Mm. to vote and you would like to see more participatory Mm. um, actions by the foreign community as the percentages grow but as you say right now um, the foreigner demographic to be fair, mm. hasn't really been something that is considered by the political parties to have moved the needle either way, where they go, man, if no. we get enough of the, uh, let's say, for example, the, the Chosunjok vote, or if we get yeah. enough of the uh, Southeast Asian vote, or, or the, the Cana- Canadian-American mm. vote, we, we might have enough to, to swing the margins one way or the other. I don't think that calculation has been made yet, and as you say, that is yeah. why there is no campaign for um, publicizing the actual right, because it doesn't seem to kind of serve the interests of the major political parties. That's right, and I've been reading reports as well that a lot of foreigners who do actually take part in these elections, they feel that they're being sidelined because of the lack of, you know, foreign language uh, services available at these voting sites. So, uh, as you say, the whole campaign is just steered toward the Korean people uh, rather than the foreigners. Hopefully that can change. Uh, We'll have to see. Yeah, but don't worry. I mean, once it becomes politically expedient to try to get these votes, (laughs) and then there are enough numbers that they feel that, you know, it will be beneficial for them. It'll happen. It'll happen. It's just a question of when, as you said. Well, speaking of this upcoming by-election, it's been heated, as we know, and uh, there have been a lot of allegations uh, back and forth. But the one we want to focus on right now is this particular, um, and it really has become maybe uh, the most famous spot in Gangnam now for a while, Mm Negokdong, right? Uh, The former Seoul mayor of the main opposition, Oh Sehun, he's been accused of, I guess, using privilege to be able to have some kind of benefit in terms of a land speculation Mm. purchase. And uh, this involves his in-laws. It involves the removal of Greenbelt restrictions. Run Mm. us through in terms of the legal perspective. We talk Mm. a lot about the political perspective, the legal perspective of what they are accused of and what, uh, if anything, is illegal. Yeah, so th- this mudsling is, is basically uh, surrounding this land in Negokdong. In question, uh, the land in question was actually passed on to the family of Or's wife after her father died in 1970. Now, this land was designated as residential land in 2009, with Or's wife getting about an eighth of the conversa- uh, compensation that was paid out for the designation. Uh, the Democratic Party is claiming that the compensation was far greater than the land value before the designation, which they accuse Or of being in. involved in. Uh, but there is no evidence that uh, also knew or was involved in this process. 
Um, in terms of the amount of compensation received, uh, land ministry data shows that eligible compensation for every pyeong, which is a measurement used in Korea, which is approximately 3.3 square meters, in that area was 2.7 million won. Now, mm. the amount for the surrounding areas was between 1 to 5 million won, so there is quite a gap there. Uh, the compensation given to all's in-laws was said to have been determined by at least three appraisers in accordance with rev- re- uh, relevant laws. Um, so, at the, on the surface, according to data, it seems that everything falls in line in terms of the regal, uh, legal limitations. Um, so, at this point... This whole mudslinging is just one person's word against the other. There's not really any sufficient evidence to back either side's arguments. Uh, Even if the allegations turn out to be true, the likelihood of all being charged with any criminal offence are actually um, extremely low. If he was found to have been involved in the development plans, then it would amount to more power abuse rather than any land speculation violations. Um, But as I said, proof of that is pretty much non-existent at the moment. Uh, And also the case is more than seven years old. So it has passed the statute of limitations. The bottom line, it's a question of um, tugi, which is speculation, which, as you say, the the bar is very high to prove that. I don't think that that was never the accusation coming from the ruling party side, that there was some illegal speculation going on. It is a matter in Korean tukke, right? Whether he, as a public official, received a special favor because of the fact this Greenland restriction was there and that one specific plot, which Mm. was purchased by uh, uh, various um, members associated to him, his Mm. his in-laws or his wife or or that Mm. side of the family, It's a he said, she said situation, as you say. Uh, That is why the testimony of these people like the the fish stew restaurant Mm. owners are key, because if he was found to physically be there, that does indicate that um, perhaps he is not letting on as much as he pretends Mm. to be in terms of with the ignorance of of the entire situation. Is it going to have political effect? Well, it's obviously uh, uh, noisy right now, and that is uh, basically why they are litigating this uh, very intensely. Yeah, yeah, they have their own land speculation scandal of their own to handle with. And so this is a problem that besets all the politicians. Nobody's hands are clean, uh, Mm. apparently. And whether it's, you know, as a landowner or as an apartment owner who's leasing out something to tenants, really goes to show that um, there is really no easy solution to (laughs) this when it comes to real estate. (laughs) All right. Adam, as always, thank you very much. Appreciate it. And we will talk to you next week. See you next week.